Good morning, everyone. Excellent. Got some great enthusiasm there. As half the congregation leaves. <laughs> okay. So, um, my title today is The Spirit-Filled Community. And uh, I think it might be good to do something slightly different. So I will stop at some stage and get a bit of congregation participation in any of the best of ways, just to get people, I can see one or two people's eyes distinctly going to the floor as soon as I said that. Not me, not me. If I'm not looking at Bob, he can't see me. Um, so I might get, I might get a, a little bit of that uh, as we go through from today. Um, you'll be very happy, uh, pleased to know we are still in our series on the Holy Spirit. Um, even though we at some stage thought we might have finished that a while ago. But no, we are still in the series on the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at that whole idea of how being filled with the Spirit, being a Spirit-filled community, how that affects us as a church. What difference does it make? Um, So to start with, I've asked Andrea to come up and to read the passage today. We're in Acts 2. Verse 42 to 47, a verse, verses that many of you will know and will love. Um, and uh, let's just uh, listen to them again and be enriched by them. All right, I've asked special permission to read the previous verse as well. It was okay, granted. It was granted. Verse 2, verse 41 to 47. So, so those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wonderful. Thank you, Andrea. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we just pray this morning that you would speak to us, Lord. You'd use my words, Lord, to bless the church, Lord Jesus. There'll be a real sense of understanding, of blessing and also of the sense of your Holy Spirit amongst us. Lord, we don't want it just to be a one-day thing. We want to be a community who day by day are more and more filled with your Holy Spirit and devoted to you. Devoted to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on us now. Come speak to us. Come bless us. Come encourage us. Amen. I know um, many of us here will have had a time in our lives when we would say we've been filled or baptised in the Spirit. And often when that happens, our whole perspective changes. It changes our perspective on so many things. It did that to me. And when that happens, we then re-look at all sorts of things. I don't know where you were 
when you were first baptised in the Spirit. Or, I mean, if you haven't been yet, then brilliant. We'll pray for you later. That would be fantastic. But I don't know where you were, because some of us may have been in a church where either that wasn't believed in, it doesn't happen anymore, it's gone away with the time of the apostles, or in a church where there wasn't space for the gifts of the Spirit and the freedom of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit. And so it does provide this kind of question in our lives. So if, if you're happy, I'm going to go from, start from there today. I'm going to start from that perspective. Just going back to that amazing passage that Andrea read, what is the context of that? Let's just draw ourselves back. Beginning of Acts, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have many people speaking in tongues. We have a kind of interpretation and people from all, all places had, had, were, were doing that. But it does say in Acts 2.14, men of Judea, this was Peter talking afterwards, after that amazing um, move of the Spirit, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you. So he was actually speaking to a group of people who were in Jerusalem. These were the people who were to become that first early church. And as Andrea snuck in at the beginning, it's those 3,000 people. One day, small band of those who'd been with Jesus to another 3,000 people who may have been well-educated in the Old Testament. But where do they go from there? Now, um, many of you will uh, know that we are part of a, a group of churches called Relational Mission. Yeah? And Relational Mission is part of the family churches called New Frontiers. And the father of New Frontiers, I think there's a, a slide, the father of New Frontiers was Terry Virgo, wasn't he? And he was one who really grappled with this question in, let me get it right, late 60s, early 70s particularly, what do we do with the move of the Holy Spirit in the church? How, how do we change what we do in the established church? How does it change our, our belief, our commitment to church, our practices? Because it began to change everything. And uh, I'm quoting from this book, which is The Spirit-Filled Church. If you haven't read it, um, really great just to dip into, to pick up different flavour about the charismatic about the Restoration Church, about the group of churches that we belong to. And uh, I'm going to read a few quotes from him just to get us started. He said, for me, being baptised with the Holy Spirit was like knocking over the first domino in a line of dominoes which are still falling because it changed everything for him. The implications for my church life were radical. He then says this, the gathered church is meant to be a place where the presence of the Holy Spirit is evident. We believe that, don't we? That's what it's meant to be, isn't it? It's not meant to be that we have a group to the side who are the Holy Spirit group who meet late on a Friday night that nobody really knows about and they're a subset of the church, is it? It's not that. It's not moved to the side. It's part of who we are. We expected, he said, to be a spirit-filled community. Amen? A spirit-filled community. And then he says this, and this is where you would say he's a bit of a revolutionary or a radical. He said, structures had to change. Space had to be made for God to freely work amongst us. That had to happen. Gradually it became clear 
that the widespread growth of the charismatic life was resulting in fresh expressions of church. It transformed the expression of church. And Terry, when he goes through it and and explains this, he uses um, some verses from Luke 5 that, again, will be well known to you, but I think they really shed a light on this. Luke 5, verse 36 to 39. And this is a parable of Jesus. Uh, And Jesus, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts the new wine into old wineskins. Now, that may not mean too much to us because we don't drink wine out of wineskins, but I think we can imagine it, can't we? Putting it into an old wineskin and it would break. Yeah, we, we, I think we, we get a sense of that. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And interestingly, he said, and no one after drinking the old one wine desires the new, for he says the old is good. We don't want to go back to the old, do we? We want the new, the fresh move of the Holy Spirit. There's that beautiful metaphor there, isn't it, of fresh new wine being the wine of the Holy Spirit. And it's that challenge, isn't it? What does that mean for church? How do we then do that? We don't want to throw out a lot of the tradition of thousands of years of church life, but we want to have a church that is dynamic with the Holy Spirit. That's the question you with me on his thinking. Many of you, I know, have moved on since then, but that was a real question, wasn't it? It was a challenge, it was a controversy. Dare I say it, it was an argument between some. This was difficult. For those who maybe can't imagine back there, this this was a a difficult time because what was going to happen? And people came to different conclusions. Um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about my walk here because I got filled with the Spirit for the first time at university. Um, And it was just amazing. Suddenly, I just... Life was completely different. I looked at things differently. I knew God was with me. And I wanted to be somewhere in church where I was a spirit-filled community. Now, my background had come from the Church of England, um, and I really appreciated that background, but it wasn't something that I felt fitted in with this. So I went to a new church, okay? It was a little bit of a trendy church, good thing to go to, maybe a little bit hippie, do you know what I mean, in those days, and it was called Isca. I don't know if anybody knows of Isca, Um, but it was a new group. It was a big church, um, I think up to a 1,000 strong, And it had small congregations all the way around Exeter that once a month or once every eight weeks or something met together. But they had these small congregations in primary schools. And I went to St. Sid's because apparently that was a cool one to go to. That's just where you went. So I went there. And it was different. It was really different. It was different to this, I've got to be honest. In general, if they possibly could do, people sat in a circle or a U-shape. Um, and what would happen when you walked in is somebody would start singing with the guitar. And the worship would be quite uh, free in the way. I mean, I I don't know how to describe it, but there would certainly be a lot of clapping, a lot of cheering, a lot of congas. I'm sorry, I didn't know congas were godly. 
but there were a lot of congas. And the kids were in as well. So literally every Sunday there would be a conga that would go round. It would all go round. It was conga. It was very family-orientated, but it was very free in that kind of way. And I'm using free kind of in inverted commas in that way. And it was just completely different for me. I, I found it completely different from the Anglican church that I was used to. Um, it does it did have some quirks. I mean, I heard singing in tongues for the first time, and I thought, oh, my word, that's beautiful. My word, what does it mean? Singing in tongues? Should you be having interpreted? What, what's going on? It made me think about various things. It was a different model of church. And when they came together to their big celebration, it was quite something. Thousand people worship. I've never seen that before. But it did have quirks on a Sunday. So, for instance, on a Sunday, they wouldn't have a sermon. In fact, I went through three years of university life, and I think I heard two exhortations at that time on a Sunday. Because they believed that the, pre- the, the teaching should be done in the small groups in the week. I was a student. I didn't make it to weekday small groups. I just like the freedom of the Sunday. So I didn't really hear anything in that time. Um, there wasn't a leader of the service. I mean, there were people who were more experienced. You could pick people out. But I didn't really know who was leading it. Um, and that didn't really bother me because it was, I mean, who needs to know leading if you're just doing congas? Those who've been to New Day and who are going this year, I know, will know about congas. I mean, oh my word. Anyway, lots of congas. Um, but I do remember one time when there was a tongue. In fact, I think there were two tongues given out. Like, I think we had one, was it last week and the week before? A tongue given out. And it then just went on with the rest of the worship. There was no interpretation. And we know from the teaching we've been receiving over the last few weeks, if there's a tongue given out publicly, we want an interpretation. Because if somebody's speaking in a language you don't understand, it just doesn't help, does it? We, we, it gives confusion. If somebody comes in from outside, what are they going to think? But there was nothing there. And then there was another one, and there was nothing there. And then towards the end, it just finished. We had coffee, a nice family time, as we did. And people began to say, oh, should, should there have been interpretation? Well, probably they should have. And it just kind of went away. And I thought it was, it was interesting. I was learning about the new life. I have to say, I loved it at the time. But it did make me think, what actually should church be like? What should a spirit-filled community be like? And that's where I come to these verses. And these verses here, Acts 2, 42 to 46, are an absolutely amazing description of this. But before I get there, sorry, I'll move forward a little bit. Let's go back again. Before I get there, I just want to talk about word and spirit churches. Because we talk about, don't we, word and spirit. We want to have that balance. So we want the Holy Spirit with us, but we want to have that balanced by a focus on the word, don't we? And that is not usual in churches. Most churches have an emphasis on one or the other. And many churches, for those that have visited and may well visit, visit churches this summer, they'll have an emphasis on one or the other. But we want to have both, don't we? That even-handed, real understanding of Scripture with the Holy Spirit community. And that balance is difficult. Okay, let's go back to Acts 2, verse 42. And interestingly, I'm just going to work on those, that first part of this 
I could talk about all of it, but you really don't want me to be here all day. But it's such an, I just love, I love these verses because they, they are so rich. But I'm just going to start with this and use the rest of it to explain it. So just, just read it again. And they devoted themselves, these people, 3,000, many very, very new to what was happening just the last few days. And they devoted themselves, what to? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And those, for some people, are called the pillars of the early church. I'm, I'm not very keen on that. I think, why are they just the pillars of the early church? Surely they're the pillars of the church, aren't they? Those things that need to go through all generations. It doesn't matter what culture, what language, whether you've got what, what, whatever style of worship, but those are the pillars of the church, aren't they? And I'm sure through them we could expand and say many things about them. Okay. So let me just look at these one by one. So let's look at the idea about being devoted. So these are, these 3,000 people that Andrew attacked on the end, these 3,000 people had just come to faith seeing the amazing move of the Holy Spirit. And they were devoted there's a, a phrase that comes up later, and awe came up on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There were people that were devoted to, does it say devoted to Jesus? No, of course they were devoted to Jesus, but they were also devoted to the various things that were happening in this spirit-filled church. I'm going to come back to that one, but I want to look at the other ones. So, what they're devoted to? The apostles' teaching. And there's so many ideas that come out of this. The apostles' teaching. Firstly, you have the idea that leadership is key. There's an element of leadership there. It wasn't anybody that got up to the, the people when they met. You know, somebody who'd got a great idea, you know, about, um, I don't know, how to get fit in the morning in first century uh, Judea. Or somebody else who'd got this great idea from Plato that they wanted to explain. No. This was the apostles' teaching. The people recognised leaders. So there was an element of leadership, and certainly Terry in his book talks about strong leadership, that there needs to be leadership in the church. That's not against the move of the Holy Spirit. I think that facilitates the move of the Holy Spirit. So there was an element of leadership here. What else comes up with these phrases? Well, the idea that it was the apostles' teaching. Now, for us, when we're looking at the apostles' teaching, we know that much of the New Testament, okay, maybe Hebrews gives us a little question, because the authorship of Hebrews is obviously influenced by the apostles, but much of the New Testament letters, and therefore agreed with the Old Testament, is the apostles' teaching. So there's the emphasis here on the scripture, isn't it? The apostles' teaching, we're talking about looking at the scriptures, looking at the Bible. And there's the emphasis here that in a meeting, you need teaching. It needs to be, when you get together, the devoted people, they wanted to be taught. They wanted to understand as well as to experience the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to risk some Latin next. Anybody here did Latin at school? Yeah, 
I was the worst Latin student in my school. Did you have sets when you were at school? I was set for everything. When I first got to my secondary school, guess which set I was in? Number one for Latin. Year two? Set two for Latin. Year three? Set three for Latin. I just moved me down all the way through. And I've got lots of stuff I should say about Latin, but I'm going to offend some people because some people love Latin. But anyway, I'm going to use a Latin word here, which was used for the, through the Reformation. They had three things they used to say in the Reformation when the great reformers were talking about moving the church forward um, as they understood salvation by faith, as they understood the idea that... Um, the, uh, the Christian life is not about following necessarily the teachings of the Pope, but it's about faith in Jesus. And they had this phrase of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. What does that mean? Focusing. Go on. Only, the, only scripture. Only scripture. That's going to be our benchmark. Nothing else. And for them, they would talk about scriptures being God's inspired word. That it's the only inerrant, sufficient, final authority for the church. And how important that was. And you'll know with those churches, if you go in to one of the early reformed churches, what they do is they take the pulpit, which is often at the side in earlier churches, but right in the middle. Yeah? The church, because they want to say that it's right in the middle and the centre of everything that happens. But they were then, they were fighting against an idea that actually um, within the church that then, I suppose, became the Catholic church, but in the church at the time, the Pope could then decide what was right and wrong. The people weren't there to read scripture because they kept it in Latin so that not many people could understand it. We're going back to Latin again, sorry. But there was this idea of the, of the importance of scripture, that scripture would be taken. Now, actually for us, that speaks to us in a slightly different way, isn't it? Because we are, dare I say it, bombarded by modern thought in different ways, aren't we? And sometimes, sometimes that modern thought aligns really quite well with Scripture. But quite often it doesn't. And I think we're in a real challenge at the moment that the beliefs of our age or modern thought are challenging the idea of whether we think whether we truly believe that the Bible is the basis for our faith and the Bible alone and how important that is. I think the other thing it says here, and I know I'm just on the first one, the apostle teaching, I'm doing it all from two words, I'm sorry. But the other thing here is it is about giving time on a Sunday when people meet together to discussing the word and preaching the word. It's not about me on the sun, Sunday standing up and giving uh, the 10 greatest idea for a happy life, is it? You know, good examples of how life can go, lifestyle tips, you know, um, which fruit shakes to drink and not drink. You know, that's not what it's about, is it? There are plenty of places that we can talk about, but it's about... teaching from scripture and saying okay let's look at it now let's look at what scripture says and how does that then relate to us and in today it's looking at these verses and saying how does that relate to a church if we scrapped everything and just pick this up how would we build a church around it 
not necessarily around other ideas. It's not even about entertainment, is it? Because we, you know, we can. I could sit here. Andrea gave me some great jokes to say today. I think she needed thought. I needed a bit of help to get started, which she was right with. But it's not about that, is it? It's actually about the Word of God, and it's also important, I believe, and I'm sure you do, for the the kids as well, isn't it? And for the young people, that they are taught. They don't just have a a club under the veneer of church, but they're taught from the Bible. They're taught the principles. My word. Am I doing time-wise? Okay, so that is, and they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship. Next one. So there was the word fellowship there is the word koinonia, which I'm sure we've mentioned before. It's about just getting together. It's about that great fellowship. It's about um, not just meeting together on a Sunday and saying, good morning, how are you? It's about living together, each other's lives being close together. Interesting, the same word is used in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, koinonia, the same word there, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that's a model for us, that closeness of us being a community together. That is central to what it is. And here's a... A question for us all. How can we, how can I, how can you have fellowship together that is better than the way we have it at the moment? How can we improve that? What can we do to develop the fellowship in our church here so that we are truly not just a community, but a community who genuinely does life day the day together in the good days and in the bad days that's really important i'm moving through a little bit quickly now here the next one and to the breaking of bread verse 46 says and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they receive their food with glad and generous hearts we want to have glad and generous hearts don't we praising god and having favor with all people. So it's great to have that phrase of praising God. Worship is obviously within that. There's friendship, there's joy, but there's idea here of breaking bread together. And that does talk about communion together. That that should be part of what we do as we regularly meet together. And we have now, we talked as elders, I don't know, about 18 months ago, about the fact that we don't do communion enough. So we're now doing it every two weeks. Yeah? And sometimes I think it's brilliant and we get it right. Sometimes it may feel a bit strange because we're doing something else and we move into communion. But actually, that's here, isn't it? But it almost doesn't matter because our focus needs to be there. Now, of course, communion is about remembering Jesus and his death and resurrection, isn't it? It's about entering into that. It's not about a system where actually we feel, oh, if I've had communion this week, then I'm somehow better than if I wasn't. I can feel I'm saved. It's not that, is it? But it's about that recognising his death and resurrection, which is so important for us. And the prayers. So the prayers here, implying praying together as a church. Mark 11, verse 17 says this. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, 
My house shall be called house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. We want to do that as a church. That's what it's saying here. That part of that charismatic community, that spirit-filled community, is that we pray together. And how much of a priority can we make that in these days as God is moving on us? And so then we add these four together with the devotion to it. We then get to the phrase, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So we're not becoming insular. We're not saying, oh, we need to go through our four pillars. And once we've done that, we're together and we're fine. We've now got our friends and our community. No, this is an inclusive community. This is a diverse community. This is a welcoming community. This is an invitation community that we then day by day, see those getting saved. Okay, well, I think I've, I've talked for a bit. I think it's time for some one or two to uh, do a little bit of a contribution. Anybody, as I've just talked on prayer, would anybody just like to pray for us all? I haven't prompted anybody. Pray with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we can come to you because you're a loving God who loves your children. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will make this church more and more a spirit-filled church. Lord, fill each one of us, Lord. We, we need to be filled up every day. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we, we follow this, Lord, the apostle teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers, Lord, that you will add to our number daily. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. So as I was preparing this, I had a few additional thoughts that I think would be worth just drawing in here. And they go under the titles of Administer the Gifts of the Spirit Well, Watching Out for the Wild Fringe, uh, recognising not every church is like Beacon and looking again briefly at they devoted themselves. So, administering the gifts of the Holy Spirit well. It is interesting, isn't it, that we get that amazing outbreak of the Holy Spirit and what happens? Peter gets up and talks. And the first thing he says is, are these brothers, these men are not drunk as you suppose. He is explaining, even in that early time, what's happening. And I think it is absolutely crucial that we administer the gifts of the Holy Spirit well. Because there is a, a, there, there is a feeling, particularly if a visitor comes in, and there is a tongue, or there is a prophetic utterance, that it feels strange. It feels weird. And so we have to administer that well. Sometimes we need to explain it, and you'll go, oh, I don't know why Bob's explaining that. I don't know why we're saying that. Why is Steve... But that's because people coming in afresh, and they're going, I don't know what's going on here. I'd love it if somebody explained it. One of the main questions people often have when they come to um, uh, a church like ours is, when do I sit and when do I stand? Can somebody just tell me? 
what do I do? I, I just don't want to look different. And that's fair, isn't it? But also, we want to do that with the Holy Spirit. And I really, I mean, we have all sorts of different thoughts on this, but when somebody speaks out on a Sunday, I love to see their face, don't you? I love to see it when somebody comes to the mic and shares, because I love to hear, that. I love to see who it is and to receive it from them. And I think that's really important. I think it's really important that we, when we have a tongue, we give a time for an interpretation. And we do what the scripture has asked us to do. That if there are a number of prophecies, somebody's saying, okay, just say, doesn't it? Two or three prophecies and then give a bit of time. My praise seeing of scripture. Um, Give a bit of time. But we should do that. And we should weigh what is said. And to do that, I think having somebody at the front, a host, an elder, um, is a really good idea. that, That sometimes, particularly if you've got something you think is quite weighty, you can then come up. Um, and also it gives confidence. Do you know, we are also a church where we are learning. And if we're learning, we're going to make mistakes. And that's okay in here, isn't it? It's okay that we make mistakes. I can still remember once singing a prophetic utterance, which I thought was brilliant. I was so excited with myself. And the first half completely contradicted the second half. So I said something like, um, oh, I, can't, I can't remember what it was, you know, God loves you when you're in difficulty, you're in difficulty because God loves you. Ah! But I was just learning. And to have somebody there, a leader, to say, that's okay, Bob, we know what Bob said, don't we? we know what he meant, don't we? And to move it on was really, really good. And it gives us confidence that we're here as a safe place where we can develop. It is the opposite, in my mind, of quenching the spirit. It is facilitating. It's encouraging the spirit. Say, come on, you may not feel you have something to give, but maybe that sense you're getting at the moment actually is the first time you've shared a word of knowledge, a prophecy. So I think that's important that we administer the gifts of the Holy Spirit well. Number two, work out for the wild. Watch out for the wild fringe. I love this. This comes from David David Pitch's book that I referred to last time I spoke. I used it three weeks ago. And he says this. I have changed the words slightly. These are now his words that he wrote in the 1980s. He says, The lunatic fringe from other charismatic churches will appear quickly if they think that your church, they can get away with what they can't get away with in their church. And people will. There are people who will go around and they think, oh, this is a free church when I can say whatever I like. Therefore, I can talk about how important running in the morning is. Because I want everybody to do it with me. Or I can talk about something so I look important. Because my church doesn't allow that freedom. And so I think we do need just to be be aware of that. And I don't think that's just the person who is hosting but I think that's all of us that we are aware that as the Holy Spirit moves there will be times when people come amongst us and we will love them and we will care for we will bless them we will encourage them but we will just be aware that do you know what maybe there's something else going on here rather than God speaking to us we can be okay with that number three not every church is like Beacon I was so surprised recently when I talked to a friend in another church 
And uh, he said, well, I don't really know people in my church. I said, well, why not? Well, we meet on a Sunday, and then we don't really have anything to do with each other until we're very polite on the next Sunday. But we don't know them at all. No. And there were some things that were going on in the church, which would blow your mind and still blow mind for today. I said, well, why didn't you know? I said, well, we didn't really know them. Who knew them? Not really anybody. So there isn't... You cannot expect every church to be like Beacon, to be thinking about word and spirit in parallel. And I think that's particularly important that um, when you are personally visiting other churches. I was visiting a church two weeks ago, and I felt I had a scripture I want to read. I didn't know how to do it. Do you know what I mean? I thought, I don't want to offend anybody. I feel I should read this. I feel it might be a blessing. What do I do? So I went up to the leader, and I said, I said, I've got a scripture. Can I read it? And he went, yeah. I thought, I said, oh, yes. I said, I'll go away. Oh, I'll read it anyway. But I put myself under the authority of that leader and said it. And I've done that a number of times in different places. And sometimes the answer was, please don't share. I thought, well, I thought that was from God. But I think it's important that we submit. Because the last thing you really want is to go to a church and let's try and think of a bit of a wild example. You go to a church and you feel you have a tongue. You speak out in tongues nice and loudly so it's very clear. And you realise the sermon before was about how ungodly tongues were. And the whole church goes, you provide that pause moment. You were trying to bless, but actually you were just causing confusion. So I think that's really uh, important. I hope that today has given you a feeling of the Spirit-filled Charismatic Church and what it means to us. And I would encourage you, particularly those younger in the faith, to investigate what it means to be a church. What is really important? Why do we feel we do things like we do? And maybe what are the things we should change to become a more biblical and be more accessible to those who don't net know Jesus. But I'm going to go back to the first words of Acts 2.42, which says this, and they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves. 3,000 people. The next day, they devoted themselves. They weren't the experienced people. They hadn't been there for years. There were a few who'd been with Jesus in the upper room. And they devoted themselves. Devoting yourself to Jesus, I believe, includes devoting yourself to the local church. The good days and the bad days. It's so easy, isn't it, to devote yourself on the good days. On the bad days, I just had my bad day by myself. But actually devoting ourselves to the local church. And this then can mean sacrifice, can't it? I mean, it's no, um, so encouraging, wasn't it? Vision 2022, when you had that sacrificial offering and you looked at the amount that we raised and you thought, where did that come from? People have given sacrificially here into this. That's just amazing. But it, it requires sacrifice. You know, those that set up this morning, those that are doing the PA and the words and, and you know, all those who, who help 
the church, the coffee, the youth, the kids, all those things, they're giving into something that is more themselves. They are devoting themselves. They're committing themselves to God's only plan, which is the church. It's not, well, do you know what? If the church doesn't work, there'll be another way of redeeming, redeeming the world. No, no, no. There is the church. It is the plan. It is plan A, B, C, D, E. I'll let you finish those off. And if we want to see people saved daily, which we do, we need to devote ourselves to the church. Okay, have you felt challenged yet? Well, you're about to be. I've got a little quote here from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you want a challenge, he can always give a challenge. And he says this. When Christ calls a man, I'm going to say a man or a woman, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. Because becoming a Christian is dying to ourselves, isn't it? He bids him come and die. We commit ourselves to things that weren't the things we committed ourselves to before, but they are now. We are changed in our mind. We are those who have repented. We were going one way and we're devoted to one load of things. We are now going another way and we're devoted to a separate load of things. Luke 9 verse 23 echoes this. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And you know, taking up the cross daily, denying yourself, doesn't mean it's not a life of joy, is it? Somehow, committing ourselves to Jesus, committing ourselves to seeing the church built is the most joyous thing. It provides the most amazing thing. I mean, I mean, some here, I know, when you're looking back at your Christian life, what you must look at with joy of everything you've seen, of things that are solid and are eternal because of the church. Isn't it amazing? Yeah? So when I'm talking about dying, I'm not talking about a negative thing. I'm talking about devoting ourselves to something that will last forever.